Good morning. Today I'm going to be reading from 1 Thessalonians. In the Pew Bibles, it'll be on page 986. 986. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentoring you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because of our gospel, came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake and you became imitators of us of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and in Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we may need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. I love how Paul begins that letter there in verse 2. We give thanks for you always. We thank God always for all of you. Isn't that beautiful? We thank God always for all of you. Are there people in your life that you can say that about? Show me a hand. You got somebody in your life that you're always thankful for? No? Really? No? Really? Okay, you got a few? Good. You know, but we ought to have people in our lives that were like that, that are like that. You know, that uh, you're always thankful that God brought that person into your life, that, that I know that person and that they know me. There, there's a lot of people around here that we could say that about. I, I think about Gladys right now, you know, very obviously. Gladys is one of those people that I always thank God for Gladys. She's just an amazing person, and, and you have that feeling about her. You know, do me a favor, and do yourself a favor, and, and do someone a favor this week. Tell someone that. You'll find somebody. You don't make a big deal out of it, but, but tell someone. Send a card, drop a note, just tell them. I did that two or three times this week as I was preparing this message. I just told people, you know, I, I always give thanks to God for you. Always, every, every thought of you, every mention of you, and many of you, most of you, a couple of you, I feel that way about too. Most of you. Maybe the big question for us shouldn't be, who is that person? But how do I become that person? How do I become the person that someone else is always going to be thankful for? A friend of mine told his wife one time, he said, you know what my goal in life is? He said, my goal in life is to someday become a sweet little old man. You know, just, just to be that, that sweet little old man. And his wife said, you're starting too late. You know, it, you, you should, have, should have planned that out a little earlier. You should have got to work on that earlier. It's too late now, but you know, you'll, you'll do your best, I'm sure. But you realize that it's not just about what we want to be when we're older, but who we are now. You know, the church in Thessalonica was not populated with nothing but sweet little old men and sweet little old women. They were, they were all ages. They were all kinds there. And they had only been at it for a few months. Just a few months. They had been in the faith. They had, they had been Christians. They had been a church when Paul writes this. So how did they do that? 
How did they grow like that? How did they have that kind of impact on Paul and on other people? Today, if someone were to ask you, what do I have to do to be a good Christian? What, how, how can I be a good Christian or a, or a better Christian? If someone were to ask you that, what would you tell them? Well, you'd probably tell them to do a few things. First of all, you'd tell them to you know, make, it, make sure you get to church. You, know, you want to come to church. You want to do this. You want to do that. But one of the things you would tell them is, well, you need to read your Bible, right? You'd say, you really need to read your Bible. If you want to be a good Christian, read your Bible. And you might give them a few other books. You, know, you, may, you may give them a Max Lucado book and say, here, read a Max Lucado book. Max is really good at this stuff. And, and you'd share that with them. Could Paul do that? No. They hadn't got around to writing the New Testament yet. They, they, were, they were going to eventually. They were going to do that. But if, if someone were to ask Paul, how do you be a good Christian? What, what would Paul say? Look at what he says in verse 6. He says, and you became imitators of us. Can you imagine doing that? If someone were to ask you, how can I be a good Christian? You say, just imitate me. You're not up for that? Just, just do what I do. Just, just do what I'm doing and you'll be fine. We couldn't do that, but what choice did they have? There, 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 weren't, uh, there weren't any books for them to read. There, there was nothing else. What choice did Paul have but to say, just watch me? And the fact is, even though you may be uncomfortable with that, that's still the best chance anyone has of becoming a good Christian. Our witness. No one is going to want to read a Bible if they're not seeing it lived out in people's lives. No one's going to want to read a self-help book or a Max Lucado book or whatever unless they see the evidence that this really works lived out in your life. You ask the average non-Christian, unchurched person in America today what they think of Christians, and they're going to use words like judgmental, hypocritical, they don't practice what they preach. So what good is telling them to read a Bible going to do? What good is, is pointing them to some resource going to do? They need to see it in us. So what made the difference in the lives of the Thessalonians? What made the difference that caused Paul to give thanks? He says in verse 3, he says, well, go back to verse 2 again. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, and then verse 3, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope. Faith, love, and hope. Those, those ought to sound a little familiar, right? You've heard those before, faith, love, and hope. You've heard those together, maybe in a different order. If you go to 1 Corinthians 13, which we call the love chapter, you know, we read it every year on on Valentine's Day, we, we, we read it at weddings and we always talk about the, the love chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is forgiving. And it's all these things. And then Paul gets to the end and he says, now these three remain. These three remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is... Thank you. You read that too. The greatest of these is love. What you can't miss from verse 3 here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 is that these are all active also. The work of faith, the labor of love, the endurance of hope. It's not about just sitting around having happy thoughts about other people and happy thoughts about Jesus. 
It, it does something. It, it works. It's what your love inspires you to do for them. How it fuels your faith. How it points to your hope. What do these look like in our lives? What do they look like to us? What do they look like to the people who are watching us? Who may be, for better or for worse, imitating us? Well, first of all, what Paul points to is a faith that is worth imitating. So since they didn't have a New Testament yet, how did they teach other people to live as Christians? How did they teach people how to be a church? What choice did they have but to say, watch us, do what we do? Paul says, you imitated us. The word that he uses there is the, where we get the word mimic. You mimicked us. You behaved in the same manner that we behave. We do that. We do that on jobs, right? You got a job to do. You, uh, you follow a guy around for a few days and you watch him do it. And then after a while, you learn how to do that job and you're able to do that job. You know? We, I did that when I was a hospital chaplain. When I served as a, as a hospital chaplain my first day on the job, I followed a guy around who was a hospital chaplain. I watched how he did it, and then I started doing it. We've been having that back here. Andy has been watching Dave. Dave gets to sit over here now. Dave doesn't have to sit back here. Because Andy watched Dave for several Sundays run the board, learn how to, how to work the sound. And so Andy's able to do that now because he watched Dave. We have people that do that over in the junior church. They will watch someone else do junior church for a while. They learn how to do it. And they're able to do it just as well, if not better, than the previous junior church people, right? They do a very good job. That's how we do it. Sometimes we say, fake it until you make it. You ever heard someone say that? Fake it until you make it. That does apply to faith also. I mean, it sounds odd, but it, it does apply to, to matters of faith. If you're going through tough times, watch other people. Watch how they went through those tough times. See how they got through. You guys have been watching Gladys deal with cancer for a year now and come to church and come to Bible study come to Sunday school, come to dinners, dealing with cancer and yet with that smile on her face because that's Gladys. Can we learn from that? Can we imitate that? You saw it with Bill. You saw it with Bill and Nancy. Not only in, in what Bill was able to do, but the way that they were able to allow other people to bless them and care for them. You saw that in the Decker family dealing with a very sudden and tragic loss. You gained that from watching other people. You watch us. You, we watch each other. We keep an eye on each other. You know, Trisha and I get phone calls every now and then, or we'll get an email or a phone call from someone saying, I just got a diagnosis in our family. We just had a, an autism diagnosis. There's autism back there at me right now. We'll get, a, we'll get a phone call. What do you do? You know, How do we get through this? And we, we tell them what we've done. You know, But where did we learn it? We Watched Maxine and Jim with Jason, and, and we saw how you do that. You know, that's, that's how we learn. That's, that's how we deal with, uh, with those things. The week after the fire, the week, the Tuesday after our fire here, five years ago, by the way, five years, half a decade ago was the fire. The week after the fire, I met with a preacher who had lost their, they had lost their church in a tornado. And I sat down with a notebook and I said, What do I do? And he gave me all kinds of very practical things. He gave me some communication things. And, and we, we talked through that. And since the fire, we've had people come to us with their own losses saying, what do we do? And we help them. And we, we give them some advice. And, and we, we show them what we did. They're watching us to see how we do it. How we did that. How we survived. 
how our faith got us through. Paul, again, in verse 6, Paul says, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. <laughs> we like that part. I mean, that's okay. If you want to be an imitator of Jesus, that's fine. You know, be imitators of us and of the Lord. We're more comfortable with that. You remember the passage that Andy read for me last week in Acts chapter 17. That's where we have the story of Paul and Silas and Timothy first going to Thessalonica. And in Acts chapter 17, we're, we're told about what all they experienced. And in verse 3, it says that Paul preached that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer. That's his message when he goes to Thessalonica. That it is necessary for the Christ to suffer. Look again at verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the Word in much affliction. You catch that? Paul, Silas, Timothy, those guys, they came to Thessalonica because they had been run out of Philippi. They had been arrested in Philippi. They had been beaten. They had been abused. Paul says, we were shamefully treated when we were in Philippi. They came to Thessalonica after suffering. And, and after they came to Thessalonica, the church there was persecuted. The leaders of that church, a man named Jason, was dragged out into the streets before the authorities. What's going to get you through those tough times? If I say, here, just read a Bible, it'll help. Is that going to get you there? If I say, here's a Max Lucado book, this will help. That might help a little. But what's really going to help is those godly examples, those people who are living as examples in front of you that you can imitate their faith. Paul pointed them to the example of Jesus Himself and He showed them through His own suffering. And what was the result? Again, in verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the Word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Oh, there, we like that part. We like the joy of the Holy Spirit part. We really like that. But do you notice the joy of the Holy Spirit is coupled with much affliction that they go together? Do you really get one without the other? Do we really know the joy without Jesus' presence in our troubles? I'm not sure that we do. I'm not sure we get that. Will other people really know that joy without those tests, without those trials, without those tough times? I'm not sure they would. I know they wouldn't without us, without other people pointing them to Jesus. And that's why that faith is tied to a love that labors for others. Back there in verse 3, Paul uses two words that sound similar to us, but they are very different words. He says, your work of faith and your labor of love. Work and labor. We might put those two together and say, well, that's the same word. But they're actually very different words. Your work of faith. It's where we get the word ergonomic. You know, Gracie and I were at Staples the other day and she said, what's wrong with that keyboard? And it was one of those weird bent, you guys have any of those ergonomic keyboards? One of those weird bent keyboards? And uh, I guess they go this way. And I said, it's ergonomic. You know, it's, it, it, it bends your hands in a, in a natural position. So you're not typing like this. You're typing like this because that's how your hands should go. If you have an ergonomic chair, it's, you know, uncomfortable, right? You know, you've seen people with those ergonomic chairs, but they bend the way you're, body is supposed to bend. They bend so that you have good posture, so that you're not you know, lounging about and, and you know, you're not bending your back in ways that will cause you to have to go to the doctor. Like me. I don't have an ergonomic chair. 
But that's, that's what work is. Work is what you're designed to do. And the work he's talking about is what your faith is designed to do. But then he says the labor of love. That's about effort. That's about sweat and toil. That's about going above and beyond. And it's a great reminder that we are not saved by our works. We are not saved by our efforts. We are saved by grace. But if we are going to show people love, that will at times require effort. Some people more effort than others. Right? Remember 1 Corinthians 13? Love is patient. Love is kind. You know, Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Some of that's laborious. Some of that is hard. What does this kind of love look like? What does this kind of love do? What did it do for Paul, Timothy, and Silas during those three weeks? Those three weeks that they spent there in Thessalonica. Those people in Thessalonica, they welcomed them. They cared for them. Paul had been beaten in Philippi. I, I wonder if he, they had to nurse some wounds while they were there and, and care for them. After a three-day walk of 100 miles, did they, did they have to care for them? They accepted Paul in Thessalonica. Paul was able to set up shop and start being a tent maker there. He was able to, to earn a living. And remember, these were brand new believers who were showing this kind of love to these people. The kind of love that they had seen in Paul. The kind of love that they had imitated. To go back again to verse 5, Paul says, because our Gospel came to you not only in word. It wasn't just what we were proclaiming, that we were saying these words. Our Gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. He mentions power there. How is that power expressed? How is that power seen? The power he's writing about, it's not miraculous power, but it's that inward power, that power that fuels us, that keeps us going. Sometimes we think power is about getting loud, right? We think power is about getting obnoxious. Power is about telling people what we're against and, and, and being able to, to argue with other people. People think they're Christians because they're able to argue, because they're able to tell you what they're against and, and what's wrong. It's not what Paul's talking about here. It's not the power that Paul's talking about. This power is seen in love. Paul sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to check on them. That's why we have this letter. Paul sent Timothy back to check on them. And Timothy comes back with a great report. And so Paul writes them this letter later, much, much later. In fact, 1 Thessalonians is likely Paul's first letter. 2 Timothy is likely his last letter, written just a few months before he died. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter chapter 1, verse 7. <clears throat> and he says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Hmm. See how power, love, and the Spirit are tied together there in 2 Timothy chapter 1? Power, love, and the Spirit appear. And then here in 1 Thessalonians, we have power, love, and the Spirit connected here also. There are people, there are people in your life there are people in our lives who we are commanded to love, but we do not have the power to love. You know what I'm talking about? There are people in our lives who we are commanded to love, but
but we do not have the power to love. And that's okay. What's wrong, what's not okay, is denying God's power to love them through us. Denying God's power to love them in spite of us. And honestly, that requires some effort. That requires some labor. Don't be afraid of laboring in love. Because what that points them to, and what it points us to, is a hope that is worth holding on to. Back in verse 3, Paul writes of these people and what stuck in his mind after, when he thought about them. He says there in verse 3, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. All those words are active. Work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope. Some of you, your Bibles might say endurance of hope or patience in hope. It means that it's unwavering. It means it's unswerving. It is that long, deliberate plodding in one direction. This is one of the reasons why we labor in love. Because we cannot allow anyone to pull us away from our hope. We have to keep our path fixed on our hope. And there are people in our lives that would like to pull us away from that at times. We may need to drag them with us. We may need to drag ourselves away from them. But one way or another, we have to continue going towards our hope. You see, in the Christian life, hope hope is not a cop-out. Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is not pie in the sky in the sweet by and by. For you and for me, for our faith, hope motivates us. Hope pushes us. Hope keeps us going. And it's not always easy to hold on to. So do you know what we need when we can't hold on to our hope? We need people who have faith that's worth imitating. People who are on the same path who can show us that it can be done. And people who can hold us, hold us to that faith, hold us to that hope that it's worth holding on to. And we need people who will labor to love us. Because sometimes we are a little hard to love. We need people who will labor to love us when our hope is just about shot. People who will come alongside when you're about tapped out and say, you can do this. You can make it. We've got you. And the beautiful thing is, the Christians in Thessalonica were already doing this for others. Again, verses 6 and 7. Verse 6, and you became imitators. Remember, mimics. You became mimics of us. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the Word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that, that's very important, so that. Why? So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So that you became an example. These baby Christians, this church, these Christians, they hadn't even been at it for a year yet. It hadn't even been a year. But everyone in their region of Macedonia, kind of think of that as, well, not even their state. It's more like their county. You know, Think of that as their county. Everyone in that county knew that you could trust these guys, that they were doing good. And beyond that, those outside of their region, he says those in Achaia, that's those people down south, down in, down in Corinth, they knew about their faith and about their love, and about their hope. And he goes on and says there in verse 8, for not only has the Word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere 
so that we do not need to say anything. We don't even have to brag about you anymore. Because they're already bragging about you. They already know how well you're doing. We started out in verse 6 where Paul said, you became imitators of us. Fake it until you make it. And then we get to verse 7 and he says, you became an example to others. In other words, you made it. You're an example. You are doing things right and other people are looking at you. He's literally saying, you are a model church and other people are looking to you. Other people are watching you. You know, we do that today still. We look at model churches. We look at churches that are doing things well and we say, why reinvent the wheel? You know, what are they doing right and what can we learn from that? If you were to go this morning to Indianapolis and if you were to attend church at Indian Creek Christian Church, they call it the Creek, you would see orange buckets just like we've got here. Those orange buckets have signs on them that say generous bucket. Every week, somebody puts a dollar in those buckets. Of course, this is a church that runs about 3,000 people in attendance every week. So if you guys want to step it up so that we can do that too, that'd be great. I don't know how many you'd have to give. You do the math. I'm not good at it. Anyway, but every week they're able to do something with those buckets to bless someone. We looked at that and said, that's a great idea. That's a model for us. Let's try that. If you were to go to Emmanuel Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky today, if you were in attendance there, and you said, what's your vision for this church? What's this church all about? They say, we have three words that we concentrate on here. Gather, grow, serve. Well, it works. It says it all. It explains exactly what a church is to be doing and, and why we're there. We're here to gather together. We're here to grow together. We're here to serve together. They work. Why reinvent the wheel? It's already there. We look to model churches to the point that every now and then someone looks at us. And every now and then someone says, what's going on in Kansas? How do you do that school lunch program that you do? How did that get started? And we get to tell them that story. How are you doing that generous bucket? They, people around here think this is our idea. No. And we let them think. No, we tell them. How do you do that generous bucket? And we tell them what we do with the generous buckets. And, and, and then they look at, the, at what we've endured together. They, they look at what we've been through. And my friend Gary called me this week to tell me that, that a young man had taken his life in his church. There's a reason why he called me. And there was a reason I was able to share and tell them exactly what we did in that situation. And they are blessing their whole community and that family right now because people look to us as a model. They look at the way your faith impacts our community. They see your faith. They see your love. They see your hope. And they know that they can hold on because you have held on. Last week we looked at chapters 2 and 3. And we looked at Paul's reaction when Timothy came back with that report about what was going on in Thessalonica and how well they were doing. In chapter 3, verse 8, Paul said in response to Timothy's report, we live because you are standing fast in the Lord. He's like, we're finally able to breathe because you are standing fast in the Lord. It's just been such a relief. A weight has been lifted. He saw the evidence of their faith, of their love, and of their hope active and alive in their community. There should be people who look at us and can say the same thing. 
They should be, there should be people who should look at us, who can look at us and say, because you stand firm, I'm able to stand firm. Because you stand fast, I'm able to stand fast. And it all began with that very simple statement there in verse 2. We give thanks to God for you always. I love that. It's so simple. It's so sincere. Wouldn't you love to have a message? Wouldn't you love to have a message like that from the Apostle Paul? I mean, can you imagine how that would feel? The Apostle Paul, guy writes half the New Testament. Christian, you don't know that yet. But he sends you a message. He says, says you yeah, know, I'm always thankful for you. That'd feel pretty good. And the fact is, you'd love to get that message from, from anyone. And the fact is, someone would love to hear that message from you. There's someone out there who would love to hear from you. I give thanks to God for you always. And I remember you in all my prayers. So this week, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. Find someone. Find someone that you can tell that to. Find someone that you can say that to. And don't make a big deal out of it, but just some, some simple way. Maybe a little card or maybe a little mention. Maybe a little note here or there. Just let them know. I'm, I'm always thankful for you. And can we commit to being the kind of people that others will be thankful for? Can we commit to being the kind of people that others will be thankful for? Thankful for the way that we modeled faith and love and hope. Let's stand together.